Anyway, um, for those of you who are here for the first time and you're wondering, okay, what is it that we do here? Um, this is what we call our daily meditational reading. It's something that I started uh, a few months back where all I was doing is I was saying, you know what, let me give uh, those who may be intimidated by the Bible and by the word of God to, uh, to an opportunity. I'm going to give you guys an opportunity to eavesdrop into my daily discipline in the reading of the word. So, um, and, and so that's what I do. I, I spend about 20 to 30 minutes reading the word and I do it every morning. And now I'm doing it with you all. I'm doing it with the rest of, of, of you guys. And I spend 20, 30 minutes reading the word. And then I spend another 20 to 30 minutes just reflecting and ruminating over the text because I believe it's important for us to hear from God when we read the Word. It's not simply for us to uh, acquire intellectual information or intellectual knowledge in the Word. And while that has some value in and of itself, it's more valuable for us to hear from God. This Word is living and active. And so that's really the whole purpose for what we do here. So that was the one part. It was just simply saying, hey, if I can get every believer to just discipline themselves in the Word, I can empower them them in a way that would liberate them and that would give them not only a greater understanding of what the Bible is really all about, but also to empower them to see that they can do this themselves. I think people are intimidated. I mean, there are a lot of believers and a lot of Christians who have said that I haven't really read through the entire Bible. Um, which is a travesty because I think every believer should read through the entire scripture. Every believer should read through the entire Bible because by reading through the entire scripture, you're going to get a bigger picture, a better picture of what the scripture is really about and what the Bible is really about. Unfortunately, many of you haven't. And part of it is because we just never really, as as ministry leaders, as pastors, as teachers, as um, evangelists, we never really compel people to read the Bible, read it in its entirety. We give people little snippets here and there, little pieces here and there. We never tell them to just read the whole thing and read it as a story because that's how the Bible was constructed. It was constructed as a story. And so that's why we're here. And that's why we do what we do here. And that's why I engage in this with you guys, because I want to show you that while this book looks intimidating, you can get through a lot of Bible with just 20, 30 minutes a day. With just half a Netflix episode a day, you can get through a lot of scripture. And that's what we've done. We've read now through the entire, there's some of you that have been with me from the beginning. I just started on IG. And so I see that now we're starting to you know, I mean, we got people now flowing in. Wow. Okay. We're at 55 now. So that's kind of cool that we have people coming in from my G who are also engaged. And then I've got a few hundred of you on TikTok who are, who have been journeying with me in this since, um, late last year. And we've read now through the entire new Testament. Okay. Through the entire new Testament from the gospels to the epistles, all the way to revelation, we read it. And now we're reading through the entire Old Testament. We've read now Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. And now we're in First Samuel. Uh, we're in First Samuel. And today we're going to be reading First Samuel chapter 17. So as I said before, this is not necessarily a Bible study, even though there's a little bit of that in there to get. Oh, congratulations, brown sugar. Congratulations. You're getting married this morning. Congrats. I had to stop for that. Uh, congrats to you. Um, but yeah, we want to uh, commit this time, not simply to Bible study, but just a Bible reading, just a Bible reading. Can one get through the Bible in one year reading 30 minutes a day? Um, I read about an hour a day. 
And I get through the Bible in less than a year every time. Uh, so I give you guys about 20, 30 minutes. And then usually I'll spend another 20, 30 minutes later on in the evening. I don't know if I'm going to add that to the read and read as well, but that's my, that's the other personal time that I spend. So yeah, I, you could definitely, I think you can probably pull it off. I'm not entirely sure, but I would like to think you can just 30 minutes every day. You can get through the entire Bible. However, I've, I, I usually read about an hour and I usually get through the entire Bible and get through most of it. And then, and then some, um, with an hour a day. So if, if anybody's asking, uh, but yeah, you can get through a lot of scripture, a lot of scripture. So today we're going to read, um, yeah, counting weekends a year is about right. Yeah, I, I would like to think that. I, I, I would, yeah, I would like to think that if you count weekends, you can get through the Bible in a year for 30 minutes a day. Uh, I'll be reading from the new, the new King James Version, then KJV. Um, and we are going to... Uh, engage with God in this word. And and for those of you who aren't familiar with what a meditational reading is, it's simply to hear from God through the reading of scripture. And so what we do is, is, is and this is what I do, and I want to encourage you to do this as well, is simply pray into these three things. These are the three questions that I want you to, to ask God as we spend this time together in the reading of the word. The first one is, is God, what are you revealing concerning yourself? Lord, what are you revealing concerning yourself. Zopoze, what's good, brother? Good to see you, brother. Love you, man. Um, what are you revealing concerning yourself? The second question that we need to ask is, Lord, what are you revealing concerning people when you read the word? And the third question that you want to ask is, Lord, what are you revealing concerning me? What are you revealing concerning me? And that's what we're going to do. And congratulations to all of you who've been with me from the beginning who have read through the entire New Testament now with me and now are reading through the entire Old Testament. And don't worry, we're going to go back again. We're just going to do this turnstile thing. All right. So that's what we're going to do. Father, we just ask that you would be with us today, Lord, as we engage in your word. Father, bless us. Lord, speak to us. Lord, convict us where we need conviction. Correct us where we need correction. Guide us. Give us, Lord, revelation of who you are. Lord, illuminate us. Lord God, inspire us. Lord, with your word today. And we ask that in your name we pray. Amen. First Samuel 17, that's where we're, 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 we're picking up from uh, since we close with 16 on Friday. So let's do it. First Samuel chapter 17, and this is what it says. Now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle and were gathered in Shekau, which belongs to Judah. They encamped between Shekau and Ezekah in Ephes Damim. And Saul... And the men of the valley were gathered together and they encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle, in battle array against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on the mountain on one side and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side with a valley between them. And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had a bronze armor on his leg and a bronze javelin between his shoulders. Now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam and his iron spear headed, his iron spear had weighed 600 shekels and shield and a shield bearer went before him. Then he stood out and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine 
and you, the servants of Saul, choose a man for yourself and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now, David was the son of the Ephrathite of of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse and who had eight sons. And the man was old, advanced in years in the days of Saul. The three oldest sons of Jesse had gone to follow Saul to battle. The names of these three sons who went to battle were Eliab. Next to him was Abinadab. And the third was Shammah. David was the youngest. And the three oldest followed Saul, but David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. And the Philistines drew near and presented the Philistine drew near and presented himself forty days, morning and evening. Then Jesse said to his son David, Now take now for your brothers an ephah of dry grain and ten loaves, and run to your brothers at the camp and carry these ten cheeses to the captain of their thousand, and see how your brothers fare and bring back news of them. Now, Saul, and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. So David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with a keeper and took the things and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the camp as the army was going out to fight and shouting for battle for Israel. and The Philistines had drawn up in battle array, army against army. And David left his supplies and the hand of the supply keeper ran to the army and came and greeted his brothers. Then as he talked with them, there was a champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines. And he spoke according to the same words. So David heard them and all the men of Israel, when they saw the man flee from him and were dreadfully afraid. So the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely He has come up to defy Israel and it shall be that this man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches, will give him his daughter and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. And the people answered him in the morning saying, so shall it be done for the man who kills him. Now Eliab, the oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men and Eliab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? Then he returned from him toward another and and did the same thing. And these people answered him as the first ones did. Now, when the words of David When the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight the Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion and a bear came and took the lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. 
And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. And the uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord has delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear. He will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. So Saul clothed David with his armor and he put a bronze helmet on his head and he clothed him with a coat of mail. David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these for I have not tested them. So David took them off. Then he took the staff in his hand and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put it in the shepherd's bag in a pouch which he had and his sling was in his hand and he drew near to the Philistine. So the Philistine came and began drawing near to David and the man who bore the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him for he was only a youth, ruddy and good looking. So the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. So it was. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and he slung it and struck it and struck the Philistine in his forehead so that the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore, David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. And the Philistines saw that their champion was dead and they fled. Now the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the entrance of the valley into the gates of Ekron. And the wounded of the Philistines fell along the road of Shiraim, as far as Gath and Ekron. And the children of Israel returned from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their tents. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent. When, when Saul saw David going out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, army, Abner, whose son is this? And Abner said, 
as your soul as your as your soul lives, O king, I do not know. So the king said, "Inquire whose son this young man is." And David returned from the slaughter of the Philistine. Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in hand. And Saul said to him, "Whose son are you, young man?" David answered and said, "I am the son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite." Hmm. Chapter 18. And then we'll be done. Now, when he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. So David went out wherever Saul sent him and behaved wisely. And Saul sent him over the men of war. And he was accepted in the sight of the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Now it had happened as they were coming home when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistine that the women had come out to the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy, and with musical instruments. So the women sang as they danced and said, Saul has slain his thousands, David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry. And the saying displeased him, and he said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed only thousands. Now, what more can he have but the kingdom? So saw I, David, from that day forward. And it happened on the next day that the distressing spirit from God came upon Saul and he prophesied inside the house. So David played music with his hand. And at other times there was a spear in Saul's hand and Saul cast the spear for he said, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped his presence twice. Now Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but he had departed from Saul. Therefore Saul removed him from his presence and made him captain over a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people and David behaved wisely in all his ways. And the Lord was with him. Therefore, when Saul saw that he behaved very wisely, he was afraid of him. But Israel and Judah loved David because he went out and came in before them. But then Saul said to David, here is my oldest daughter, Merab. I will give her to you as a wife. Only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul thought, let my hand not be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. So David said to Saul, who am I? And what is my life for my father's family in Israel that I should be son-in-law to the king. But it happened at the time when Merab, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David, that she was given to Adriel, the the Hamalathite, Jesus, as a wife. Now Michal, Saul's daughter, loved David. And they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. And Saul said, I will give her to him, that she may be a snare to him. And the hand of the Philistine may be against him. Therefore, Saul said to David a second time, you shall be my son-in-law today. 
<sighs> and Saul commanded his servants, communicate with David secretly and say, look, the king has delight in you and all his servants love you. Now, therefore, become the king's son-in-law. So Saul's servants spoke those words in the hearing of David. And David said, it seemed to you a light thing to be the king's son-in-law, seeing I am a poor and lightly esteemed man. And the servants of Saul told him, saying, in this manner, David spoke. Then Saul said, thus you shall say to David, the king does not desire any dowry, but 100 foreskins of the Philistines to take the vengeance of the king's armies. But Saul thought it thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. So when his servants told David these words, it pleased David well to become the king's son-in-law. Now the days had not expired. Therefore, David arose and went and he and his men and killed 200 men of the Philistines. And David brought their foreskins. And they gave them in full count to the king that he might become the king's son-in-law. Then Saul gave him Michal, his daughters, as wife. Thus Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David and that Michal, Saul's daughter, loved him. Saul was still more afraid of David. So David became, so Saul became David's enemy continually. Then the princes of the Philistines went out to war. And so it was whenever they went out, David behaved more wisely than all the servants of Saul so that his name became highly esteemed. Let's sneak in the last chapter. First Samuel 19, and then we'll call it. Now Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted greatly in David. So Jonathan told David, saying, My father Saul seeks to kill you. Therefore, please be on your guard until morning and stay in the secret place. Sorry, and stay in the secret place and hide. And I will go out and stand before my father on the field where you are. And I will speak with my father about you. Then what I observe, I will tell you. Thus Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant, against David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his works have been very good towards you. For he took his life in his hands and killed the Philistine, and the Lord brought about the deliverance for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood? to kill David without a cause. So Saul heeded the voice of Jonathan and Saul swore as the Lord lives, he shall not be killed. Then Jonathan called David and David told him these things. So Jonathan brought David to Saul and he was in his presence as in times past. And there was war again. And David went out and fought with the Philistines and struck them with a mighty blow. And they fled from him. Now the distressing spirit from the Lord came upon Saul and he sat in his house with his spear in his hand, and David was playing music with his hand. Then Saul brought to pin David on the wall with the spear, but he slipped away from Saul's presence and he drove the spear into the wall. So David fled and escaped that night. Saul also sent messengers to David's house to watch him and to kill him in the morning. And Michal, David's wife, told him, saying, if you do not save your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. So Michal let David down through a window and he went and he fled and escaped. And Michal took an image and laid it in the bed, put a cover of goat's hair for his head. 
and covered it with clothes. So when Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, he is sick. Then Saul sent messengers back to see David saying, bring him up to me in the bed that I may kill him. And when the messengers had come in, there was an image in the bed and a cover of goat's hair for his head. Then Saul said to Michal, why have you deceived me like this? And sent, man, that's a ride or die right there. That's a ride or die. Then Saul said to Michal, why have you deceived me like this? And sent my enemy away so that he had escaped. And Michal answered Saul and said, he said to me, let me go. Why should I kill you? So David fled and escaped and went to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went and stayed in Naoth. Now it was told Saul saying, take note, David is a Naoth in Ramah. Then Saul sent messengers to take David. And when they saw the group of prophets prophesying and Samuel standing as leader over them, the spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul and they also prophesied. And then Saul was told, he, Saul was told, he sent other messengers and they prophesied likewise. Then Saul sent messengers again a third time and they prophesied also. Then he also went to Ramah and they came to the great well that is at Saku. So he asked and said, where are Samuel and David? And someone said, indeed, they are Naoith and Ramah. So he went to Naoith and Ramah. Then the spirit of the Lord was upon him also. And he went on and prophesied until he came to Naoith and Ramah. And he also stripped off his clothes and prophesied before Samuel in like manner and laid down naked all day and all night. Therefore, they say, is Saul among the prophets? I'll stop here. Um, wow. Uh, there, there's so much to, to reflect on and to consider in our time today, uh, in our reading today. So much, so much to, to consider. Um, if this is your first time here, I want to remind everyone here that this is the Read and Rant. We do this every morning where we spend about 20 to 30 minutes reading scripture. And then we spend another uh, 20 to 30 minutes just reflecting on the scripture and to hear what the Lord has to say to us today. And this is really a journey through the entire scripture. It's a journey through the entire Bible. Good morning, Ellison. Good morning, Izzy. Good to see you guys. I got my sons who are on live with me as well. So that's encouraging. Um, but it's important. And it's, it's, it's one of the most important things that you can do as a believer. And I'm sure there are some of you here who can testify to this, that this time that you guys have spent in the reading of the word has been profoundly transformative for you. I've had people who've messaged me saying this has changed their lives has changed their perspective on the Bible. They never knew this is what the Bible was about. It changed their whole perspective of God. It changed everything. And so I'm absolutely encouraged by that. Absolutely encouraged by that, that you can be empowered to read the scriptures. The Bible uh, makes wise the simple. The scriptures were meant for the simplest of people to understand. And yet there's a depth to the scripture that even the most intellectually complex people would be uh, 
challenged by it. It's the uniqueness of the scripture that the scripture can do that. The scripture can, uh, can, can literally stretch the most intellectual mind and yet still embrace the most simple mind. And, and that's why I challenge every believer to read the word because just reading the word is powerful. The word is not a, uh, intellectual book. Okay. It is a spiritual book. And yet we often read it like it's an intellectual book. There are intellectual elements to the book, but in, in totality, what the scripture was meant to do is it was meant to reveal the heart, the character and the will of God. Is anybody understanding me? And so this is why I believe this activity is so critical, why this activity is so important. It's important because it cultivates a lifestyle of reading scripture in a way to hear from God, not in a way to simply understand the minutia of it all. Before you can even get into the minutia of the text, it's important for you to read the whole text. Because you can spend hours focusing on, you know, one or three verses in the Bible. And because you've read it out of context, you missed the whole thing. And that's why this story is so critical and why this story is so important to reading right now what's happening. Because often we've read the story of David and Goliath. It is the Sunday school story. It's the... Um, it's the Bible study story. It's the story in every kid's book and kid's Bible story. It's one of the most famous Bible stories. The story of David and Goliath, David and Goliath, David, this young shepherd boy and Goliath, this huge, mighty giant warrior and how David overcame this giant, mighty warrior with a stone slung his rock hit him in the head and won the battle. It's a beautiful story. And it's exactly what transpired. And it's not to say that there isn't historical evidence to prove it or that it's historically true. And yet the historical reality of the text was not meant for historical reality's sake. Let me say that one more time. Because remember, I'm giving you perspective here as I'm reflecting on this word. The historical reality of that text is not for historical reality's sake. It's not enough that it's something that was true and that it happened. It's not enough that it's just a history book. It's not a history book. It's a story. It's a history with historicity. But at the same time, it is a parable of the truth of who God is and what God is doing, has done, and will do. We read David and Goliath in this sort of really sealed, uh, uh, this really concealed perspective. And when we read the story of David and Goliath in that sealed uh, vacuum, we miss the whole point of the story of David and Goliath. David and Goliath wasn't about a shepherd boy who overcame the giant. That's actually not what it was about. It was a parable about the will of God. 
in the work that God is doing and the mission that God is doing and who God is choosing to do it through. The story is not actually about David. David is actually not the hero in this story. God is the hero in the story. David is actually not the person that we are to exalt. I'm sorry. I just ruined my children. My children are watching this right now. I know Ellison's watching this. I know Izzy's watching this right now. And I'm ruining, ruining their childhood right now because, you know, it was it was so beautiful to grow up as a kid. And, you know, the story of David and Goliath. There's David. He was a little guy. And because he was a little guy, man, he was able to overcome and defeat the giant because that's what happens. Giants fall. Giants fall when we overcome. I'm ruining it for them right now. I'm sorry, Ellison. I'm sorry, Izzy. I'm sorry for all of for, for, for ruining it for you because that's not what it was about. David and Goliath was not about David. David and Goliath was about the completion of a story that would culminate later on down the line. It was a foreshadow of what was to come. It was a parable of Jesus Christ. It was a parable of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, if you read the story and you follow the principle of the story, it can get you into some trouble. Okay. David was not equipped for battle. David was not prepared for battle. David had no facility and no place being where he was. So much so that the scriptures tell us that David was, was a very unimpressive person. He just showed up to drop off some bread and cheese. And they all looked at David and said, what are you doing here? This wasn't about um, simply the perceptions of people. And yet there's a story there as well. But this was no, this was about something greater and something bigger. This was about a guy who was in a place and in a space where he wasn't supposed to be. And yet God resists the proud and he exalts the humble. This is a story of who God chooses to work through, who God chooses to move through and the purpose by which he chooses to move through them. When you really read the story, you're going to begin to realize only God can be at work through this. You have just, uh, I'm going to give you a grown up perspective on this. Okay. Let's just give a grown man perspective on this. And then I'm going to tell you why this all matters. I'm going to give you a grown man perspective on this. Okay. Stay with me here. Cause this, this might help somebody. When you read the story and you read it deeper, not at face value, but read it deeper from a deeper perspective, you're going to read the story and realize that the story doesn't make full sense. I'm explaining to you what I mean by that. You have an army of Philistines who up to this point have been kicking Israelite butt. Yes, I said that, Ellison. These guys are powerful. These guys are formidable. They're strong. And these Israel, these, these Philistines come to a place of battle, meeting in a valley of battle. To go into battle, the odds are in their favor. The odds are in their favor. And yet, rather than going into battle with these Israelites, they choose a mediator, a champion, 
the one who's the strongest among them, Goliath of Gath. And they say, we're going to take Goliath. And what Goliath will do is he will be our representative. And what Goliath asks them to do is to bring out their representative, bring out one person who can come out and represent you and let the battle be fought by the two of us. And whoever wins that battle, whoever wins the duel, wins the battle. So everybody understand where I'm at? Whoever wins the duel wins the battle. Goliath of Gath. Goliath, the great warrior. Who would go to battle against Goliath? Now, it wasn't an uncommon thing for um, for a champion of one group to go up against a champion of another group. It wasn't an uncommon thing. Um, it wasn't uncommon for two heads of an army to come and to meet and to battle in the same place. It wasn't uncommon. And yet when it was the champion of the army who would come out, it would be the champion of the other army who would come out. And if the champion of the other army to co- would come out, then it would have to be the champion of the other army. No situation would a Goliath of Gath even entertain a battle with David because it wouldn't have been considered a credible fight. This is getting interesting now because we've got David, who's this shepherd boy, who's this very unassuming young man, a man that has been rejected by his own people, a man that has not been even considered by his own people, a man that now is going to step up and stand in the gap for an entire people. This was a representative. David comes before them as a representative in humility, in humility. And the scriptures even inform us that it is the spirit of God that is doing this. David goes in and just by a mediator, David wins a battle that allows an entire nation of people to have victory. They didn't lift up a finger. They didn't pull out a sword. They didn't do any of that. This story is not about David, but this is the story that is about to shape the people into understanding how God operates in saving his people. There's a battle that is being fought in a place that no one else can fight. There's a battle when you go down into the valley that you couldn't, the children of Israel could have never won the battle against the principalities of the Philistines. The chosen people of God could not have won the battle against the principalities of the enemy. And yet one came in the midst who stood in confidence of who God was in representation of Yahweh, the mediator came down into that valley and went and fought the giant and with one stone slung that rock and cut off his head. This was never about David. 
This was about the operation and the operability of how God is going to save his people. Isn't it funny that as kids, when we read the story, we kind of get done. We just talk about how David overcame by the power of God. But we don't understand that God does not manipulate his power through a person unless it coincides with his grand story. God's power does not move through you simply for your own survival's sake. God does not move through you simply for your own pleasure. God does not move through you simply for your own breakthrough. Even when God gives you a breakthrough, he doesn't do it for your own entertainment. And yes, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which will be revealed, but it wasn't for your glory. It didn't say for your glory to be revealed. It said for the glory to be revealed because there's only one thing that we ought to glory in. God is moving and manipulating his power through a people for the sake of his glory. He gets the glory in the end. And therefore, that's why God will resist proud people because his power cannot move through pride. His power cannot move through pride because people who are prideful will manipulate the power for their glory. But people who are humble will receive the grace of God. That is the power of God that allows God to move through them in order for God to get the glory. The question is now is why did David even go in the valley in the first place? David did not go in the valley so that he can get into position. David did not go in the valley to become king. David did not go to the valley so that he can become a warrior. David not, did not go to the valley to be entertained. He did not go to the valley to be thought of as this guy who was of value. David went into the valley because they dissed his God. The bonus that came on David was, I need to protect the name of the Lord and the glory of the Lord. David was not there to fight. He wasn't trepidate. He would, he would rather die than to see his God's name offended. This was not about David. This was about the glory of God and the spirit of God came upon that young boy because what the scriptures will tell us is that God, let me back this up for a moment. When we are called images of God, to be an image of God is literally to be an imager of God. Image of God is not a picture. It's actually an extension. When he says in Genesis, let us make man in our image according to our own likeness, what he's literally saying is God is saying, I am now, after I have repopulated the earth, reorganized the earth, brought order to chaos, after I've brought everything the way it ought to be, now I'm going to enter into the earth. I'm going to enter into earth's reality, and I'm going to enter into earth's reality, and I'm going to extend myself through humanity. He said, let us make men. Elohim said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So God now is extending himself through mankind. God is extending himself through people. God is now his fingers, his arm, his extension is now through people. So now God is moving through mankind. So the moment that mankind now seeks to do what he will, that's a dysfunction in the body. And that's why that when it says that he sinned against God, he sinned in that he was meant to be an extension of God in which God gets glory through all that he does. So therefore, when we look at David, we have to understand that God was extending himself through David. It was not David that overcame. It was Christ who overcame. It was not David who overcame, but it was God who overcame. It wasn't David that slew the giant. It was God 
who slew the giant. God did it through David. The spirit of the Lord came upon David because when the spirit filled him, God extended himself. And get this for a moment, that God will extend himself through people who desire his will and even through people who do not desire his will because God will manipulate his power even through sinful people. Did we not just read in this text just now that even when Saul went in and said, I need these people now to know who I am. And he sent out the messengers to go meet David and to go meet Samuel and to tell David and Samuel, y'all better know who I am. I'm coming after David, that they, the guys who were even going against them prophesied. They prophesied. Then when Samuel came, Samuel prophesied. And immediately they thought, oh my goodness, Samuel must be a prophet. Is Samuel a prophet of God? Because the spirit of God is upon him. No, the spirit of God was upon Saul because God will extend himself through anybody. He will extend himself through anyone. Because God is going to get the glory. God created humanity for his glory. We read David and Goliath, and we often read David and Goliath of, this is a story of how David overcame by the power of God, but that's a small part of the story. David did not overcome by the power of God for David's sake, because what was David overcoming? Just the battle? No, 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 no. From the moment that David was anointed, God now was exercising his will through David. David was a young shepherd boy, ill-equipped to go into battle. And you did. David had a bonus because God had a plan. God was exercising his plan. And so when we talk about David being a type of Christ, you have to understand that in that moment, David was mediating for people in the same way that in, in, in all of humanity and all of mankind and in all of time, one came and represented us. He went and fought a battle that we could not fight. He entered into a valley that we could not go into. He went through the depths of Sheol when we could not. And he went and he fought the battle for us. When he died on the cross, the Bible tells us that he descended to the pit of Sheol, to the place of the dead. And there he spent the day in that place. There he spent his time. And there he overcame the devil. There he overcame the battle. There he overcame Goliath. And in overcoming Goliath, we all get to enjoy freedom. This was a picture of what God is about to do. And the children of Israel were waiting for it to happen. This story is among many stories, but this story was important because this story was supposed to reveal that there are battles that you will not fight, but that you will win. Let me say that one more time. There are battles that you will not fight but there are battles that you will win. I've said this before that when the scriptures tell us that we are more than conquerors, I think people forget or don't fully understand what that means. To be more than a conqueror doesn't mean that you're more than a winner. It means that you did more than a conqueror can ever do because conquerors win battles that they fight. More than conquerors win battles that they never fight. And yet there are battles that you will not fight, that you will win. We often read this text and say, well, if David can beat Goliath, then I can overcome my Goliath, not without the spirit of God. 
not without the will of God, not without the glory of God. The difference between Saul and David is Saul had pride. David had humility. And it goes back to the whole narrative thread of what 1 Samuel is all about and what 1 Samuel is teaching us. The book of 1 Samuel is giving us a very simple teaching. It's telling us that the Lord resists the proud and that he gives grace to the humble. That's all 1 Samuel is about. If you ask me, if you, if you, if you want to write it down, this is, this is what 1 Samuel is really about. The book of 1 Samuel is the Lord resisting the proud and giving grace to the humble. Saul had pride. David had humility. God demoted Saul. God promoted David. Pride is quite simply, if you ask the question, pride is quite simply glory of self. Pride is when you get married because you want to be a power couple. Yeah, we want to get married because we want to, we want to power, we want to be a power couple. We want to get, we want to, we, we want to get this job and get this promotion because I want people to see that I got this. I got the skills. I got the talents. I got the abilities. Pride is when we want to get into relationship for what pleases us, or we want more money because it, it gives us more power and more flexibility and more freedom. Pride is when we seek our own glory over God's glory. Pride is not being prideful. Pride is the self is the glory of self. And yet the Lord resists anyone who wants to do anything to glorify themselves. Oh, but for those who humble themselves. You understand that the way Jesus ruled was by humility. When Jesus ruled, Jesus did not rule prostrating his power. Jesus did not have pride. As a matter of fact, the way Jesus ruled is through humility. Philippians chapter 2 tells us that he humbled himself and became obedient unto death. Jesus humbled himself. The way that he exercised power was through sacrifice and humility. And some of us, we were praying for some things, asking for some things, asking for God to move through us, asking for us, but we want power for power's sake. We want money for money's sake. We want to be married for marriage's sake. We want to, we, we want these things because they would make me happy. And this is for me and I deserve it. I deserve my own happiness, not realizing that your fulfillment comes in the glory of God. I want to say this very quickly because I know I'm out of time. I know I'm out of time. I, I apologize. I've been ranting now. How much time do I got? I got a few minutes. I got six minutes. <laughs> I try to end at 10, but I usually go about 10 minutes over. Um, David has no intention of being king. As a matter of fact, he was shocked that the king would want him to marry his daughter. He said, may he be the son-in-law of a king? I'm just a little poor little shepherd boy in Bethlehem. David did not care at all about promotion. He was not looking to be promoted. He was just looking to be used by God. 
And we now see that even in his humility, God begins to exalt him and lift him up. And he begins to notice this is not about David. This is about God saying, I can do my will and I can exercise my plan through this man. Saul was about himself. David, ah, he's the man after my own heart. David is the man after my own heart. And watch this. Saul knows that. People have always asked the question, well, how did Saul fall so deeply into madness? Because we see what happens next. David wins the battle against Goliath. You know, Saul killed his thousands. David killed his ten thousands. All of a sudden, Saul is getting deeply insecure. Saul's like, what's going on? Everybody's exalting David. What about me? People never understood that. Why would, why would the king of Israel be threatened by a little shepherd boy? Why would the king of Israel the man with the power be threatened by this little kid. Or maybe we forgot what we, we just, what we read last week. Did you forget what we read? That Saul already knew he was fired. Saul was fired in year three. And because Saul knew he was fired, the scriptures tell us, go back, go back. I believe it's chapter 13. Go back and read it again. Did you forget? Saul knew he was fired, and the Lord said to him then, through Samuel, that he already had a replacement. That means, and then remember, it, it, it was iterated again, I believe, in chapter 15, when Samuel reminded Saul again that he was fired, that his kingdom has come to an end. So Saul was king for 38 years, or I forgot how many years now. We'll get back to that. But he was king for over 30 years. But he was only qualified and called for three of them. Not even three. By the third year, he was already fired. And yet he was operating as king, but in dysfunction. Saul knew that he was out of place. And Saul knew that he was out of position. And that troubled Saul so much that he... He implored God and said, he asked for forgiveness. He asked for forgiveness and he didn't get it. So Saul knew his replacement was just around the corner. And here comes David all of a sudden. And the story doesn't make sense. Saul knows it. That's the thing about the enemy. The enemy usually knows before you do. The enemy usually knows what God wants to do through you before you do. And now Saul, who sees David, and he sees his story don't make sense. A little shepherd boy from Bethlehem out, came out of nowhere, came out of nothing. And all of a sudden, this kid is the most famous guy in Israel. All of Judah loves him. All of this story don't make sense. So Saul knew right away, Oh my goodness, this is my replacement. Saul knew ahead of time that David was his replacement because all he had to do was talk to David a few times to know this is a man who's after God's own heart. This man don't even care about the kingdom. 
And every time Saul tried to set him up, he wouldn't go down. And he knew, no, 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 there's something on this kid. Mm, God's doing something through him. And he tried to kill him twice in private. And then he tried to assassinate him to go into his room. And man, the, the he got a ride or die. McCall sneaks him out the window. After she sneaks him out the window, uh, rolls him down and then covers up the bed and puts the goat hair on the bed to make it look like there was someone on the bed just to give David enough time to go. I love it. He's, she's a ride or die. It's kind of kind of wife you want to have, right? <laughs> ride or die. Protects him. Even Saul's family members have disqualified him. Jonathan is having private meetings with David. We just read it here saying, let me reason with Saul, David, because it shouldn't be like this. What an awkward place to be when everybody in your family now sees that you've been disqualified. And Saul falls into complete madness. Ready for this? And after this, I'm done. Because it's nine o'clock. If anybody ever wants to mark the beginning of the demise of Saul's kingdom, it's 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 9. Remember, I told you the whole purpose of 1 Samuel was to affirm what was iterated in the beginning of the book in Hannah's prayer and Hannah's song that the Lord resists the proud and he exalts and gives grace to the humble. And we see that narrative thread all throughout this text. If you're proud or prideful, the Lord will suffocate his spirit in you. But if you're humble, the Lord will manifest his spirit through you. It's never about you. It's never what you do. It's what God does through you. But now we see two things in contrast. We see a shift here, a transition of power from Saul to David. And in that transition, there's one rising while another one's falling. And the moment that the fall begins, I believe, for Saul is right here. In verse 9, so Saul eyed David from that day forward. I, I highlighted that as I was reading in pink today. Pink is like big time. Pink is very important. So Saul, 1 Samuel 18, verse 9. So Saul eyed David from that day forward. From that day on, Saul's attention was on David. From that moment on, Saul's intention was on David. From 
from from that <laughs> the longest six minutes ever I know right from that day forward Saul's intention was on David and it's from that moment on that Saul's kingdom declined this is just a lesson for for those of you who are here whatever you're in right now whatever a field you're in whatever thing you're called to there's some pastors in this group right now there are some uh teachers in this group there are some doctors in this group there's some lawyers in this group i see i see some news anchors in this group there's some new news anchors in this group there's some uh musicians in this group there's there are two children's writers You've written children's books. There's two of you in this group. Um, yeah, there's like there's like seven or eight poets in this group. Ooh, this is cool. Uh, there, this is a really cool group right now. Um, there, there are poets. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, there's, there's, there are a few chefs. Chef Lynn, look at that. You're not the only one. There's a few others, actually, who are in this group. CFO in the house. What am I bringing all this up? I want you to learn. Clive, that's good. There's a few of you, quite a few of you musicians who are in this group right now. I'm sorry. I'm just being led by the Spirit of God. If you would allow me just for a moment, just to be led for a moment. But this is where the Lord is leading me. Because as I was praying today, I said, Lord, what are you revealing concerning me? What are you revealing concerning myself? What are you revealing concerning? And, I, and, and this is what the Lord hit me with. He hit me with that verse today. What that verse says, and it says, Saul I, David, from that day forward, Saul was, was entrusted God entrusted Saul with a kingdom. And Saul is about to lose it. Saul is beginning to lose what God entrusted him with. Because his eye was off of the kingdom. And now his eye was only focused on a person he was threatened by. Your kingdom will be declined when your focus is on who you're competing against. In this moment, Saul is competing against David. And yet David is not competing against Saul. Saul is competing against a person who's not even competing against him. The problem is there's some people in here right now who you're having a hard time finding rest. And what's happening to you is what's happening to Saul. You're losing even your own control and your own facility of your mind. Saul is falling into madness. The next two chapters that we're about to read, we're going to see Saul fall into complete madness. And he's falling into madness because his eye is not on the kingdom anymore. His eye is only on David. He's focused on getting rid of David. David is his focus. David is where, and, and so that verse right there is, is the beginning of the demise of Saul's ministry. There's, if you're a chef, 
your focus is not on the person you're competing against. The focus is on the kingdom that God has entrusted you with. Pastor, why are you threatened by the young brothers in your church who have been gifted to preach and gifted to lead? Why are you threatened by them? You should be sending money to them, equipping them and sending them out. The moment your eye is on them is the moment that your church declines. The moment, ooh, um, I don't know, This you, you may want to stay in silence, it's okay. I, I don't want you to feel like you're being put out. Um, there, there's a news anchor here who you've lost a lot of sleep. You're losing a lot of sleep. You can't sleep. Your mind is going all over the place. You're losing just connection and touch, and you feel like you're losing your juice. I hear that. I hear that's the word you're saying. I feel like I'm losing my juice. That's the word I hear. Uh, you feel like you're losing your juice. I think that's what you said to yourself. That's what I'm hearing that you've said. Uh, and the Lord hears you. You feel like you're losing your juice. And the reason why you're losing your juice is because there's a newcomer in the group that seems to be threatening your job. So now you're not focused anymore on the gift God gave you to use your voice to do what God has called you to do and to bring insight and clarity and information and inspire people with the news that you've been called to inspire them with. No, no, no. Now you're focused on doing better than that person. You're losing your sense of self in the process of it all. And the Lord is coming today to convict you and what he's convicting you with today is he's saying, I called you on this mission. I gave you the voice. That job you have, you should have never had in the first place. I gave it to you. It was in your humility. And what the Lord is saying now is, is you need to reduce and submit yourself. You need to humble yourself. You need to humble yourself. Humble yourself. Trust God with what he's doing in your life. And in humbling yourself, focus on what he's given you. He's given you the kingdom. So now do it with all of your ability, your might, your creativity. Do it in freedom. You're going to get your juice back when you get your eye off of that person. You're going to get your juice back when you get your mind off of that person that you think you're competing with. Even if they're the younger, newer person. And even if, I don't know, but I feel the Lord is really encouraging, uh, encouraging you in this right now. And I know you can't put yourself out and that's okay, but this is for you right now. As you step into this today, as you step into work, as you step into what you've been called to do, get your mind off that person. You're losing your career because your face and your mind and your eye is on that person. Get it off. Focus on the kingdom that he's given you. We're going to learn, and you're going to see it later on in this text. Saul loses his kingdom because of this verse. That verse 9 is no joke. Saul eyed David from that day forward. David kills Goliath. David becomes famous. Saul gets jealous. 
Saul is prideful. And out of that pride, now Saul says, I got to kill him and destroy him. And everyone but him is protecting David. Don't be Saul. That's what I'm going to name this podcast episode. Don't be Saul. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you that you've uh, given us the privilege to come before you today, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for the salvific work, Lord, that you're doing through each and every one of us. Lord, you said that your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You've given us this confidence, and yet we can experience a day, experience that today because you've also said in your word that your kingdom is in us, that it is within us. And so, Father, as we come before you, Father, we ask, Lord, that you would remove every sense of pride in us. Lord, humble us. Lord, humble us to live for you, to trust in you, to give it all to you, all our gifts, all our talents, all our abilities. Remind us, Father, that we didn't get here by our own volition, by our own ability, by our own skill, by our own looks. We got here simply by your grace. So, Father, bless us today, Lord, as we... um, Go through this day, Father. I pray that you would remove every sense of competitive spirit in us, every sense of thing in us, Lord, that seeks, Lord, to compete against other people. The eye, Lord God, that keeps pointing and that keeps pointing to the people that we feel threatened by, Father. I pray that you would remove that from us now, Father. Give us, Lord, the capacity to just trust in you, to rely upon you, to focus on you, to focus on what you've given us to steward and administrate the kingdom that you have bestowed upon us. And we ask that in your name we pray. Amen and amen. Father, I uh, I thank you for those who are here right now. Uh, Lord, I feel a profound pull to speak into their lives, to speak this reality today. Lord, that you are making all things new through each and every one of them.